The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines. President Trump threatens to withdraw from the WHO, writing a letter to the health body accusing it of mishandling the pandemic after China pledges an additional $2 billion in funding. All along, we've acted with openness, transparency and responsibility. We've provided information to the WHO and relevant countries in a most timely fashion. The stocks in Asia build on the Wall Street rally, with the Dow soaring more than 900 points after US biotech firm Moderna releases encouraging results from its coronavirus vaccine trial. A 500 billion euro Franco-German pact. Chancellor Angela Merkel and President Emmanuel Macron propose a European recovery fund to distribute grants to the hardest hit EU members, but meets immediate resistance. China slaps 80% tariffs on Australian barley, sparking fears of a trade war as Sydney continues to argue there should be an investigation into coronavirus and its handling by Beijing. And fresh data set to reveal the state of the European car industry as workers begin returning to auto production plants, with the industry hoping the lockdown lifting will revive demand. U.S. President Donald Trump has threatened to permanently pull funding and withdraw from the World Health Organization in 30 days' time unless the agency commits to, quote, major substantive improvements. In a letter published on Twitter, the U.S. president accused the WHO of missteps in its handling of the pandemic. Trump's latest threat came just hours after he once again accused the global health body of being too China-centric. I think they've done a... uh very sad job in the last period of time. And again, the United States uh, pays them $450 million a year. China pays them $38 million a year. And they're a puppet of China. They're uh, China-centric, to put it nicer, but they're a puppet of China. China has promised to provide $2 billion in the global fight against COVID-19. President Xi Jinping made the pledge in a speech via video conference at the annual World Health Organization meeting. She said that when a vaccine becomes available, it will, quote, become a global public good, adding that China has acted with openness and transparency despite criticism from other countries. In China, after making painstaking efforts and enormous sacrifices, we have turned the tide on the virus and protected the life and health of our people. All along, we've acted with openness, transparency and responsibility. We've provided information to the WHO and relevant countries in a most timely fashion. We've released the genome sequence at the earliest time possible. We've shared control and treatment experience with the world without reservation. We've done everything in our power to support and assist countries in need. 
As you can see, a lot of news flow uh, around COVID-19. But what moved the markets yesterday? Phase one of a vaccine from Moderna, encouraging signs of pushing stocks high. And you can see the extent of the balance. A very strong day playing out on Wall Street for the Dow, the S&P and NASDAQ. Uh, the gains that you can see concentrated this time around the Dow, the 3.8% pop versus what you were seeing on the tech-heavy NASDAQ, suggesting catch-up by a lot of other stocks out there. Uh, in terms of what we've now got with the size of this bounce taking us close to 24,600 points. We're now trading just 16.8% off the all-time highs for the Dow. In terms of big moving stocks, it was Boeing for the likes of the Dow. You can see that stock bouncing in session, 12.8% gain. This sector very much hard hit. If you look at the aerospace industry around concerns that there may not be a vaccine for 12 to 18 months as we continue to see the economic hit and travel being impacted in particular, not to mention those spending decisions by major airlines. Apple stock getting a bounce. It was one of the big movers for the likes of the S&P 500 and also the Nasdaq. Meantime, look at that jump in Disney. A little bit of magic sprinkled on that stock as investors eyed a comment from the entertainment giant saying it was looking at the partial reopening of Disney World in Florida soon. So that stock uh, certainly getting a solid bounce. In terms of what we're witnessing across the rest of the markets, uh, take a look at what we've got now across on the Asian markets, uh, splashing up in the green as well. Gains of 2% on many of these major indices from the ASX in Australia. Well, we are seeing increased trade tensions around a barley product as uh, the Australians have been calling for transparency from China. It seems that has been met with tariffs on a key product on the agricultural side, but uh, the Australian market's still rallying at this point. Across the board, you can see uh, Shanghai more modest versus what we've got on the Hong Kong and Japanese stock markets. Still very solid uh, is what we are watching on these major indices, 400 odd points on the likes of the Japanese stock market. Well, speaking of that vaccine, let's dive into the latest as Moderna shares traded lower in extended trading after the U.S. biotech company announced it's looking to raise $1.34 billion and a new share issue taking advantage of a 320% rise in market value in the past three months. Moderna shares skyrocketed 20% in Monday's session after the group unveiled positive data in an early stage COVID vaccine trial on humans. All 45 participants in the test produced antibodies for the new coronavirus. Juliana has more. Juliana, it did strike me that this was healthy participants in that trial. And of course, not all participants, as we know globally, if you look at the impact of COVID-19, were healthy going into this crisis. So what can you tell us about this vaccine? Well, that's absolutely, it's a good starting point. And it reminds us that this is early data from a limited trial. We're talking about a small number of participants here. So we can't read too much into this, but this is very encouraging data. So the news we got yesterday from Moderna before U.S. markets opened is that the phase one study that they're conducting with the National Institute of Health showed that patients who were given the vaccination saw the same immune response that those who were naturally infected with the virus have after they've recovered. So patients who were given the vaccination developed the antibodies that you would normally develop if you got the infection out in the real world and then recovered from it. We also learned a little bit about dosing. As part of this study, participants received two doses of the vaccine, three different sized doses. And participants who were given the lowest doses of the vaccine 
showed the uh, same level of antibodies seen in naturally recovered patients. So the implications there are that moving forward, they will be able to tweak their trials and give pa- participants a lower dosage of the vaccine, which obviously has some big implications when it comes to manufacturing the vaccine later on. Now, our U.S. colleagues spoke to the Moderna CEO yesterday uh, about the trial, and he essentially said he couldn't be happier with the result. Take a listen. The first three cohorts of healthy adults, 18 to 55 years old, were 45 subjects. Uh, recently, we decided with NIAD, the department of Dr. Tony Fauci, to add an elderly cohort, 55 to 70, additional three cohorts, and then three additional cohorts, 71 years and above. Uh, as, as Meg said, this is a very exciting data. It's still interim data, so the phase one is still ongoing. Uh, but if you think about where we sit today with the data that Meg described, we could not be happier. So to sum up, the data that we saw yesterday showed two really promising uh, pieces here. One, the neutralizing antibodies that those vaccinated developed. And then two, the safety, the fact that the majority of participants showed no adverse reactions. There were a few adverse reactions, but nothing dire. So from a safety perspective, this is encouraging. Now, in terms of what happens next, to come back to Karen, your initial point about this being a healthy group of participants, the next step is going to be giving the vaccine to a much wider group of participants, including an older set of people. Uh, In terms of the actual next steps for Moderna, they aim to initiate a pivotal phase three study in July, and we should get results from that by the end of the year, assuming all of the uh, things progress well. Juliana, thank you very much for fleshing it out for us. We'll talk a lot more about this during the show today. Meantime, we'll push on and get out to Steve. He joins us with more from a site which is uh, back to work, right back in action. And uh, Steve, uh, I hear you can do click and collect when it comes to cars these days. Yeah, Karen, I want to show you what's real live. This is what Britain back to work. This is what industry back to work looks like. We've got the Ford plant behind us. Gate 21 is where a majority of the 2000 Ford workers, this shift coming in now, uh, this is where they will be working and coming. Of course, it's an engine assembly plant, one of the most famous plants in the world. What I'm going to do is just spin around and show you this amazing organization here. I've got to say all the workers have got masks on. All of them got apps. This gentleman here who's shouting, he's got like a device in his hand, which is a temperature checker. So every Every single worker uh, who comes through is having their temperature checked. You've got two lanes of traffic here. And what I'll just show you is a huge, huge number of cars uh, just coming in on shift here as well. Of course, Ford has been shut down for a long while. They started yesterday, had a couple of hiccups, but they've got it fully working today. So thousands of workers coming in. I'll just tell you what they've been going for. They've all got apps on their phone. Again, technology, Karen. Uh, basically, they have to answer three questions. Do you have a high temperature or a new continuous cough? Have you had a confirmed coronavirus case in the last 14 days? Do you live with someone who has any of the above as well? As I say, scans, all the um, the checkers here have got masks on, they've got visors as well, uh, and all having their temperature checked. Well, and this is really important, of course. This site is actually part of the Ventilator Challenge UK. They've been making ventilators uh, for British hospitals here as part of the consortium. Again, temperature checks, apps, masks on, you can see. So very, very strenuous um, circumstances going on as people even enter the workplace. When they get in the workplace, a lot of social 
social distancing having to take place as well. But uh, Karen, this is a real life situation. This is what back to work looks like. Back to you. Steve, thank you very much for that. Uh, let's bring in Penilla Henneberg, who is global economist at City. I want to get into what we're hearing overnight with you first up, Penilla, because the news of a phase one vaccine from Moderna and the market is moving on the back of it, despite it being very early days when it comes to a vaccine. What do you make of that? Because it feels as though investors are quite depressed about the economic uh, impacts we're seeing from COVID-19 at this point, right out until 2021. Yeah, so we have actually seen for quite some time now that financial markets have outperformed uh, what we consider the fundamental background. And it has been very much related to uh, stimulus coming, especially from the central banks. Uh, but what has been delivered hasn't been sufficient to reduce the uncertainty in the economy and, and what monetary and fiscal policy cannot do is to reduce the um, infection. And the infection fear is crucial for when the economy is reopened. Because if there is still a fear of infection, that will put a lid on how strong the recovery can be. So these are obviously positive news from also an economic perspective. Clearly, the health concerns are dominant. But what about the amount of stimulus Europe is now looking at? Because it felt as the Americans came up with the CARES Act, the first package, contemplating a second package and a whole bunch of measures from the, the Fed as well. But when it comes to Europe, there's been arguing over the type of rescue fund. And what we heard yesterday, a Franco-German initiative to effectively come up with 500 billion euros in a recovery fund. And most of that uh, expected to be in grants to, to various countries and regions in the, the European zone. What do you make of of those sorts of initiatives and whether they can make a difference? So it's positive uh, the news we have had uh, on the Franco-German uh, uh, proposal here. Uh, of course, uh, it's still not um, fully completed. We have to get the rest of the EU to support it. Uh, but one of the things that is important is this uh, fiscal transfer that is now being acknowledged as being important. You're saying that it's grant and not loans that is also important. And the joint issuance uh, is very important. So these things follow a time where you has been struggling we had the, the German Constitutional Court challenging the ECB very recently, and our European economists said that that was happening at the worst possible time. So it's good with some positive news uh, for Europe. Uh, and yes, US, US also need to do more in order to uh, close the gap that is closing from the losses during the crisis. Uh, Penilla, traditionally, if you look at this market and you see these accelerating week on week, day on day gains, and you believe that this is excessive, you would look for a peak, some kind of emotional blow off. How far away do you think we might be from that then if you feel that this rally has shaky foundations? So there are various ways to look at this. Our U.S. equity strategist has a panic euphoria model. It's a tiny leading indicator, and it has smoothed into euphoria just last week. That is a suggestion that we could see negative returns over the coming 12 months. And from our macroeconomic perspective, we tend to put the financial variables into an aggregate of a financial condition indicator. Uh, and the level of that indicator still suggests that we will see weaker economic activity. So there is still a headwind to the economy from financial markets, although markets have been rising and we have seen uh, loosening of financial conditions. That has simply just not yet been enough to counteract uh, the headwind that we saw early in the year. And this is coming back to what I said before, there's only so much central banks and also fiscal policymakers can do. We need to see the economy reopen and it gaining strength. Uh, and that should eventually also support the financial markets. 
Well, given what we're seeing with uh, Moderna and vaccine development here, do you have any good feel for how far out it it will take before we start to see signs of real economic recovery? Because it seems to me at the moment FOMO is is trumping the uh, the greater fear around the macro data on this belief that there will be a rapid reopening. So I guess we're now in the business of trying to time or at least estimate that rebound. What are you forecasting? So, so a simple observation is that the strictness of the containment measures and the GDP are co- correlated. And we only have had the first quarter uh, GDP figures, so we still need to see the second quarters. And many of uh, the countries put uh, harsher containment measures in the second quarter compared to the first quarter. So we are still waiting to see more weakness. Our economists are then assuming that we will see a reopening of the economy. And here it's of course important that we do not have a second wave of the infections. Uh, because that could put a lid on how strong uh, the recovery will be. Uh, But it's really important with this um, fear factor uh, vanishing, because as long as there is fear, even if the economy is reopened, there will be people who simply do not want to go to the restaurant or go on a plane uh, because of being worried about being uh, infected again. And yet, Panilla, there are high uh, amounts of the market, large number of sectors that are not enjoying the rally as well. I mean, I look at the rally off the lows for the auto sector, which I'm involved in the story today. And I I look at the PE valuation, single digit across the board, uh, Ferrari and Tesla accepted. I look at Renault uh, trading at around about, what, four or five times. I look at Volkswagen trading at six times as well. I look at Ford on the other side of the Atlantic, only a very small premium to that as well. So there are large amounts of the market that really are trading still at historic lows. Is it worth looking at those sectors? There is clearly a lot of divergence. Um, And when we look at how to get out of this, uh, the manufacturing sector is generally better positioned for a rebound. Uh, But when we have had this sequence of the virus spreading globally, that will also affect the economy rebound. Uh, And that means that this uh, global supply chains become important. Workplace coordination is important. And these factors need to be taken into account from a manufacturing perspective. From the services perspective, the challenge is really that even when the restaurants open, it's not likely that people will go out and eat uh, twice as many times uh, in the next year, reflecting that they didn't go out this year. So there will be permanent losses within the services sector. And that is, of course, something that should be reflected in the financial markets. Thank you very much for joining us today, Penilla Henneberg, the Global Economist for City. Let's squeeze in a quick break. Coming up on the show, Europe takes a major step towards a joint fiscal pact as Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron unveil their plans for a European recovery fund. We'll discuss the details next. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse.
numbers crossing from Julius Baer this morning. Uh, the Swiss Bank uh, reporting that uh, it delivered a robust financial performance in the first four months of 2020. Not many companies are coming up with statements like that uh, during COVID-19. The company continues to benefit from a strong capital position as well as a solid and liquid balance sheet. It's too early to assess uh, with any certainty the impact of the COVID-19 crisis on the global economy, financial markets and results of Julius Baer. That, according to the company, as its gross margin has risen to 95 basis points. The uh, company saying that gross margin in each of the four months was significantly above 82 basis points reported for the full year of 2019. So that is also curious when we consider that it's been very different months that have now panned out for this year. Its cost to income ratio improved to 64%. The uh, company's uh, adjusted pre-tax margin at 35 basis points. Assets under management, though, declined to 392 billion Swissy at the end of April 2020. The company's annualized net new money growth uh, rate for the first four months of 2020 was slightly higher than 2%. Uh, the CT1 capital ratio is standing at 13.8%. Uh, that's still fairly high. And uh, the company is saying uh, that capital ratios were affected by more than 50 million Swissy negative impact on capital from a remeasurement of the group's defined benefit obligations. It uh, has continued to accrue a dividend for the current financial year. You may recall that the company decided to split that dividend under pressure from regulators for these Swiss banks to consider whether they should be making these payouts. But it will continue and will make that second distribution of 75 uh, Swissy per share to be proposed for approval at an extraordinary general meeting that will be held on the 2nd of November this year. The strategy implementation is on track. Also, just a quick line on the Bahamas. It uh, has been trying to unwind that business because of productivity gains uh, that it's been chasing. It's received purchase offers for the Bahamas operation and has reached an agreement with Ange Batcher, which will require Julius Baer Bank uh, with the remaining assets under management of around 1 billion Swissy for an undisclosed amount. Now, let's push on to some of the big stories in Europe today. Germany and France have unveiled plans to launch a 500 billion euro recovery fund aimed at reviving the EU economy. The move has been welcomed by some but rejected by others. Annette and Charlotte are joining us with more. Annette, first up, it feels as though Macron and Merkel have been working behind the scenes to come up with this recovery fund, but there's real pushback by a number of states already. Yes, there might be pushback by a number of states already, but what Angela Merkel yesterday was saying as well, that they already have spoken to major government, most important government. So there is a chance that they're getting that deal done, I guess. I mean, Angela Merkel, she's a very seasoned crisis manager, as we all know, during the debt crisis. And she has a legacy of getting people uh, back to the table, to the negotiation table, and also to get a compromise done. And if you look at that deal, it's really a compromise. And the Germans really moved because it's more or less a 180 uh, degree uh, yeah, U-turn Angela Merkel was doing. And she will also have a hard time to sell that deal to the German um, yeah, to the German lawmakers, also her own party, because essentially it is now uh, yeah, sort of common debt in the Eurozone, which um, some of her party members also never wanted to have. So I, I guess it's a true compromise, and that's what she's going to sell as well. She also was reiterating yesterday, it really needs to be done because we need to keep Europe together. It's the worst crisis Europe is facing since the Second World War, since it got erected, and that's why we need that kind of solidarity. So take a listen of what she said yesterday. 
The goal is for Europe to emerge from this crisis stronger, more cohesive and in solidarity. And we know that the impact of the virus on our countries varies and that there is therefore a risk that the cohesion of the European Union is threatened by the economic effects of this virus that is no longer there as we need it. And that is why the recovery fund must help to ensure that all the states in Europe are able to respond appropriately and that requires an extraordinary one-off effort which Germany and France are prepared to make. So essentially, here comes the solidarity for the southern European countries, which were most affected by the coronavirus crisis, because clearly what they were also saying yesterday in the press conference, even though uh, these are grants, it does not necessarily mean that every country has to repay the debt which they are using. Uh, What is not clear yet is how uh, the majority of the debt will look like. I think Angela Merkel would like to model it according to Uh, the rescue fund we have in place here in Germany, that would mean a 20-year maturity, and that she was pretty clear about who is actually going to repay the money, and that is according to the capital key, so to say, according to the size of the economies of the respective Eurozone country, European countries. And that also means that Germany will have to shoulder the bulk of that rescue package. She was also saying that this is not the only rescue uh, package in place, so that all rescue package together would amount to up to 3 billion euros, just to make the point that Europe is really doing a good job to try to shoulder that crisis, try to get uh, the yeah, fallout effects from the crisis um, yeah, remedied through those gigantic fiscal response they're readying the respective governments, but also Brussels, the European level. With that, back to you. Netta, thank you very much. Uh, let's get to Charlotte more. Charlotte, it feels like there's a real fight over whether these should be grants that are handed out to various countries or whether they should be loans paid back down the track. Well, there'll be a lot of negotiation down the line. And like Aneta said, there's probably been a lot of conversation among EU leaders during the weekend up to their announcement yesterday. But when it comes to the Franco-German um, relationship and motor, some of the French headlines you see this morning talk about resurrection or deconfinement on the Franco-German relations. Because as you remember, Emmanuel Macron was elected on a very pro-EU agenda, uh, wanted to reform, had his famous speech at the Sorbonne uh, about reforming the EU and the Eurozone. Uh, but then after the beyond the smiles and the handshake with Angela Merkel, the relationship didn't produce much and uh, Germany grew a little bit uh, worried about uh, Macron's impatience on these reforms and were dragging their feet. And so there was real concern here that the EU wasn't going anywhere, uh, that this impulse after the, the, the election of Emmanuel Macron wasn't driving to any EU reform. Uh, now, this agreement is really a change and a new start for the EU relationship. Uh, the, Emmanuel Macron talking about real change of philosophy there with this EU solidarity fund. Um, and France here playing a little bit of a brief between the southern countries and the northern countries. France one, was one of the signatories of that letter uh, of nine countries in favor of Corona bonds. So here, uh, Germany coming to an agreement with France, hoping that they can bridge and be a bit more of an agreement there and bring on board other countries from both sides of the EU. Um, you remember that Emmanuel Macron had repeated warnings on how this was a moment of truth for Europe in the Financial Times interview recently, how solidarity needed to be shown in these difficult times for the EU. And again, the episode yesterday, 
uh, the announcement showing that this uh, could be the moment. Uh, they also mentioned that this is a moment beyond this EU uh, fund uh, for recovery from the pandemic. Uh, also talking about more widely about uh, economic sovereignty for the EU and the changes, for example, of EU merger laws and that they were in favor of reforming this to create European champions. Take a listen to what Emmanuel Macron said uh, yesterday at the press conference. The action we are bringing together consists of reducing our external dependency in strategic sectors, like the production of medicine, but it's also to improve protection of our companies, to better fight against predatory investments, but also to attract and relocalize key investments in Europe. Essentially, on the sanitary front, our wish, our collective will, is to build a very concrete competence in Europe. In terms of the healthcare sector, we're committed together. Common stocks of masks and tests, the capacity to buy or produce vaccines together, or in a coordinated way for treatments of vaccines, shared plans for the prevention of epidemics, and a communal methods to identify the cases. A pan-European policy on healthcare never existed, and it must become our priority. So he... So here Emmanuel Macron speaking last night with a special focus on economic sovereignty, but also healthcare, a new focus on healthcare, making the EU uh, the center of new competencies and, and new developments here uh, on uh, developing stocks for crucial equipment, as well as producing key medicines uh, and vaccines. And that's very interesting because uh, today he's also meeting the CEO and chairman of Sanofi. You remember last week there was this controversy about Sanofi saying that the first batch of vaccine that they're developing will go to the the US uh, because that the, the US had invested money in developing this vaccine and that the EU was too too far behind and lagging in coordination in creating uh, this sort of um, of manufacturing capacities. Of course, they suddenly backtracks in that and they're meeting Emmanuel Macron, the CEO and the chairman, meeting Emmanuel Macron this afternoon. But this focus on healthcare and the conversation between uh, France and Germany is very interesting, saying EU countries are coming together in creating this sort of joint capacities in ramping up uh, key crucial uh, vaccines and medicine in times of pandemic on the, on the healthcare front. So interesting development there and we'll watch the comments this afternoon from the Sanofi um, meeting as well. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.